Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. NBC Sports, Football Morning and American columnist Peter King. What do you think about the Chase Thomas podcast? I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Atlanta, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I, hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Pod Divided here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ. Many forget, but Tennessee out here looking like the best team in college baseball. Once again, raking all over the place. We can't find enough lineup spots for how many heavy hitters that this Tennessee lineup uh, has. Once again, Tennessee basketball obviously getting revenge on the Texas A&M Aggies over the weekend as they looked and now are number one in the conference in basketball once again with an Alabama date looming in a week. But uh, yeah, everything school HQ in full bloom as always. And so you know what that means. When I have this kind of opening, that means my good friend, Bell University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green, is on the other line because I don't really do this to anybody else. Just Matt Green. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? <laughs> I'm glad you saved this for me and um and don't don't do this to your to your listeners all the other days of the week, you know. That's um at least you save them that. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, uh it is what it is. Tennessee, I, I, we're not about to get into college baseball right now. This is way too early. We're just college basketball is in full swing. Uh I'll I'll give you some I'll give you some college basketball talk, but baseball, no, 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 no chance. Incorrect. Baseball is awesome. College baseball 
um, is We're fantastic. We're talking preseason rankings and, and flexing on most likable lists. I don't know what's going on over here. Hey, everything school HQ in full bloom. Best college baseball program in America. Um, Rick Barnes, best team ever uh, at UT. Things are looking up. Dalton Connect looking like a top 10 pick. Sakai Ziegler out here. One uh, rebound, one point away from a triple dub. Second all time in Tennessee history. Um, man, I don't know what to say. L- number one seed looming for the Vols uh, in that regard. Man, everything's everything's coming up uh, Tennessee right now. It's a good time to be a Tennessee volunteer and a uh, sports fan up here in Tennessee. The in college triple-double stats are crazy because it mm. just does not happen no. nearly as much as you think. Like I think J.J. Frazier may have gotten one at Georgia mm. a couple years ago. And it was like the tenth in like SEC history or something like that. It was it was a kind of a crazy number. I think it's been done in the tournament only like a handful of times. Yeah, I remember D Wade and was it to get to the Final Four that one year with Marquette. I remember having a triple double and it. And it's like it's just it's an everyday thing in in the NBA where they're just scoring 130 points every night. Uh, you're seeing a lot of a lot more triple doubles. Absolutely, but hey, you know it's a it's a cool thing. Cool Mark Zakai. Came up just short, but, you know, there's going to be more opportunities for uh, Zakai and company to get that elusive triple dub, as you mentioned, with the NCAA tournament and all that kind of stuff. So more opportunities, but most of all, Tennessee basketball. Very, very good. Uh, Matt Green, uh, something that I don't think most college football fans is good right now. And you kind of knew this was coming, and I imagine you got this sense, too, that this is kind of where the wind was blowing, is that, like, once you expand from two to four, to 12 the reaction was oh well obviously they're gonna try and expand it a little bit more because you want more seats to the table uh i will guess more seats from the power two uh at the table um in these uh in the in the college football playoff in years to come but matt green what was your immediate reaction to the report that um the powers that be are already looking uh, ahead to a 14 team college football playoff when we haven't even had one iteration of the 12 team playoff i think like most college football fans uh, i think we all had kind of the same collective groan just eye roll just just like of, of course they are like why i don't know why who is pushing for this i guess is my first is my initial reaction like who went back last year and was like you know i feel like notre dame you know they they deserved a shot down the stretch last year like like LSU you know that that team that that team should should have had a shot to win a national championship a year ago it's like no that's not how the sport works like yes there's every other sport in the in in America not not around the world but every other American sport you know you play the regular season you get better as the year goes and then you know you get hopefully have a chance to make a playoff run you know and that's cool that works for basically every sport but college football is better than every other sport in America. And maybe it wasn't the postseason that made it the best sport. Maybe it wasn't the the lack of or the the amateurism that made it the best sport. Maybe it was like maybe it wasn't like the guys having to sit out if they wanted to go team to team. But something made college football the best sport. And if you change everything about the sport, there's reason to worry that it's no longer going to be the best sport. And so I just worry that we're just changing the face of this entire sport that we love more that has more passion than every other sport in America essentially like it's just the 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 home atmospheres just the stadiums just the 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 passion that these 
these institutions have just more than more than pro pro teams really that can that can threaten to leave the city if they don't get a new stadium like it's just different in college and i just i hate to see more and more change like this because i was kind of of the belief like you said we expected this i was kind of of the belief that they jumped to 12 so that they wouldn't do this like yeah we went from two to four but that didn't really feel like like two was nothing kind of you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i guess before the bcs it was literally nothing but two is is not a playoff so you you went to four i'm i'm just a believer that four worked and we're seeing more expansion that that seemed to to make four work better the fewer we only had power four power four conferences now the four makes even more sense than it did before and now we're going straight to 12 i just i don't know man i i just I'm, i'm not liking the direction we're going i think more than anything what they're really struggling with is rapid change right like this is where you lose folks because people can adapt people adapted to the bcs because the bcs was not always a thing like college football fans grew up my, my dad your dad i mean this was not uh they grew up with a different version of college football they grew up with a different playoff format they also had time you know what i mean there is big gaps between the bcs to the 14 playoff there was big gaps between the BCS and what came before it. Like you need, and this is kind of speaks to just society at large of just in terms of how technology is uh, just making everything change so rapidly. You're seeing it in college football here where I'm not as big of a, I'm not as concerned about the change itself. I am concerned that you are changing so many things in a very, very short amount of time that it overwhelms college football fans, that it overwhelms a lot of the folks that you're trying not to alienate because yeah, some of these will be good. Like that's the thing is like people are worried about different things. Some of these have been really good for the sport. Some of these will continue to be really good for the sport. Other changes for the sport will continue to be good. There will be some misses, but that's part of change. Like it's not all can be perfect, but there will be some positives that come out from it, but fans won't notice those positives when you are changing so much that their heads are spinning. Like you don't want the sports fan base who have day jobs, who have other things going on, to not even understand what the playoff is anymore. Like even with March Maddox expansion from 64 to 68, it doesn't really change much. Your bracket didn't really get take a hit when you had to add a couple more play in teams. This is a little bit more complicated. I do hate that too, though. It just makes no sense. 64 is such a clean bracket. It really is. But we still going. say 64. Like no one really says 68. Yeah. Like like no one really thinks of it. The, that way. Your brackets on in the ESPN bracket challenge aren't due until Thursday, right? Those, mm-hmm. We don't really even count those those Tuesday Wednesday games. Right. And I just think when it comes to the college football playoff, I think ultimately where you're running into problems is like, man, you haven't even done the 12 and you're already doing the 14. It's like there's nothing wrong with eventually getting to 14 potentially, like depending on where the sport goes. Who knows? It might seem obvious that we add a couple more in if there are some good teams left out because you're at like 12. Why not? The problem is you're not doing this for a long enough time to get people used to this format and to allow people to get used to the new version of college football. But when things change so much, I just cannot imagine. I mean, I do this for work. I do this for a a, a job, Matt, and you're already a diehard college football fan. But if you're not a diehard college football fan, I just wonder what's going through your mind when you read stuff like that. Like you just see what they're already, why why would they want to go? And we're not talking like five years from now. This is coming up for 2026 potentially. So it's like we're going to get a couple of years of the 12 team potentially and we're already moving the model. And I just I don't know. I think 
at some point, again, because there's no one person in charge of this thing uh, to keep this thing uh, level headed, we're just always going to have a constant change. And I don't want to say anarchy because it's not anarchy, but just kind of chaos. And it's not controlled chaos in a way. I don't know how to explain it, but it's just it's just kind of frustrating because you're like, y'all, that's the problem. When I talk to casual college football fans is like, it's a lot of change very, very quickly. And it's hard. It's getting harder and harder to keep up with for the casual fan. For sure. Because I, I remind people that of all the time of that all the time, because college football, college sports are always changing. Like the big mm-hmm. East was just invented in like 1980, like the big yeah. 12, like started in like 1996, you know, it's like these, these conferences aren't ancient. Like we've seen mm-hmm. all the different movement, like Miami and Boston college and Virginia tech joining the ACC and that, that sort of thing. But we, it's just usually taken more time to your point. Mm-hmm. Like, like imagine like, so we had 10 years of the 14 playoff. Like when were those decisions really made about going to 12, probably seven, eight years in, mm-hmm. and then it takes a couple more years to get everything figured out. If we made that decision seven, eight years into the big, maybe seven, eight years into the into the BCS era, the SEC is like, you know what? I feel like top to bottom, we have the best conference every year, but our teams are never getting in because our conference is too competitive. And and mm-hmm. LSU won one time and Tennessee won one time, but you're seeing Oklahoma and you're seeing USC and Miami. They're the ones that are getting in because they're able to go perfect for their schedule. And then they changed the rules because of they didn't like how the first six, seven years went. Like the SEC went on to win about 10 straight national championships under that same format. So if you're just over, I feel like we all overreacted to Alabama and Clemson. I've said this a bunch of times, Alabama and Clemson just being as dominant as they were for six, seven years. And, and under any format in the sport, Alabama and Clemson are going to be the two best teams in the country for that six, seven year period. They were just, they were head and shoulders, just kind of better than everyone. And Clemson, you know, maybe it's, also kind of a benefit of playing in the ACC at the time, but regardless, they were they beat Alabama a couple of times too. So they mm-hmm. were up there winning a couple of national championships. Alabama's run with Saban is just unprecedented. And we all overreacted to, oh, it's the same four teams every year, even though I don't think it was ever actually the same four teams uh, in, in any of the 10 playoffs. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really unfortunate that I think we overreacted and jumped all the way to 12. If you had it to six or eight, I, I don't think I would overreact the way I do, but I think just with what the regular season is in college football, and that's the other part that, that sucks with this conference uh, expansion element to this, the regular season was about to get so much better. Like the college football regular season, as, as great as it is, it's very flawed in terms mm-hmm. of the balance and who's playing who and Auburn and having to play Georgia and Alabama every year, why some other teams don't have to play a top 10 team the whole year. Like that aspect of it was flawed, but with getting these super conferences and, and bringing Oregon and Washington to and USC to the, to the big 10 and bringing Oklahoma and Texas, to the sec, you were going to get to see so many more satisfying regular seasons where like we look at the sec schedule this year that it's like, I don't really care. Everyone's got a gauntlet. You know, it, it, there is no like, oh, look at their schedule. Look at that. That's going to be easy. So our regular season was about to get better and a little more like concise. And now we just threw in a another, uh, you know, wrench into it. We're OK. Yeah, maybe, maybe now five SEC teams all get to have a chance to play for a, play, a national title. It's like I don't I, I just don't know which what who's in the, that's in college football like wants this. I don't, I don't know anyone in college football other than the people that are making more money off of this 
I don't know anyone else that actually wants this to happen. Yeah. And it just doesn't seem like it matters. We're just along for the ride, right? <laughs> it's just, there's only, like, I'm not going to get super upset about it. Like, it just seems like once this kind of stuff comes out, you're like, okay, well, that's probably where it's going. Like, they're probably going to have a 14-team playoff in a couple of years. And then we'll see what that means. But one of the things we know it means right now is the new auto bid format. And I was curious for you, Matt Green. I assume this means we're only going to get one G5 school in the playoff in the 12 team era. Um, I think it's going to be really hard for a ranked team to have that kind of CFP resume based on what we've seen from the CFP rankings the last few years. Uh, multi Multiple G5 teams making it in seems unlikely unless they have a really beefed up non-conference schedule that puts them in play. But um, do you like the change to the auto bid format? And part two to this question, do you think there should be auto bid still in the college football playoff? So that's the second part is a little tougher to answer. But in terms of the first part, the first part seemed obvious. Like we mm. were at six and six and the Pac-12 doesn't exist anymore. Well, yeah, you, you can say what you want. If Oregon, I don't know if Oregon State and, and Washington State are, are still in the Pac-12 or how that's. Well, I think they have the rights actually. now. So I think in the next couple yeah, of years, they maybe probably, it, yeah, they absorb the Mountain West exist. and then the new Pac-12. I don't know. Maybe the Mountain West will rebrand themselves to be the Pac-12 mm-hmm. and, and keep all that. But um. Without a power five, there's only power four, right? And we talk about it being power two, but there's a power four essentially at this point. So it seemed only logical that you were just going to get rid of one of those uh, automatic bids. So that mm. that part made made sense. I don't necessarily have a problem with, you know, the the top four seeds being the top four. high. Oh, is it the top five seeds now? Or is it just the top four seeds are going to be the top four conference champions? Yeah, and so basic five school will get in, but not necessarily as the fifth seed. Correct. So they okay. could be a top four seed, a G five school. They could be ranked higher, but basically the they are just guaranteed a top five spot. But the odds of them being ranked ahead of one of the four power four champs um, seems unlikely. So you never know, I guess, but probably I not. Think, um, I think the 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 automatic bid exists to make conference championship weekend still relevant because Mm. if, if that's not relevant, then it's just playing for seeds and you know, it's something, but it's not, it's not nearly what it is of like Alabama, Georgia, you could be playing for the one or two seed in the, in the playoff or you're number five or six like that. That is, that does make some, a difference there. So um, I, I guess that's probably the rationale there, but I don't necessarily have a problem with automatic bids because I don't see a scenario where at least the top four conference champions aren't top 12 teams. Like maybe you get to that fifth conference champion and you know, it's basically in there to, to just get the G five school in. Um, but you know, in a year where we got like number 21 Tulane or something like that, like it, it's a shame to, to include them over a, over an actual like a 10 and two power five power five team that just didn't win their conference or anything yeah and i mean look i think it'll be fun um the five through 12 matchup and who that will be and there will be a lot of pressure there uh over the next couple of years to see the like that will be a musty game it's gonna be like uh the fourth or fifth best team in like the sec or big 10 going to like Tulane or something um, in a do or die game. Um, That'll be fun. I mean, either way, maybe they sneak into one of those top four, but I think that's also probably fair. And like you said, I think uh, it's a good point of like, 
it keeps conference title games relevant. Um, but I am also, I think we've talked about this and I talked to uh, other people in the know here through a text the last couple weeks where I'm like, and they're, they uh, agree where it's like, there's no, if you're going to do this and we, we don't, we're not going to relitigate the college football calendar and yeah, they're moving signing day a little bit, which should help uh, early signing day, moving it free, basically moving free agency uh, a few days before the portal um, should help so that coaches are not having to do uh signing day plus uh, the portal at the same time so that should help a little bit but all that to say one of the ways that you're gonna because <laughs> this is coming and we're gonna just have to see it play out in real time in the college football playoff but that weekend is valuable for the college football playoff that weekend needs to be college football playoff games because you need to get as many games in as humanly possible before chaos ensues because there will be some more Malik Murphy transfers during the college football playoffs. So you kind of need those weekends and you kind of need to move the season back. You need to, I think college football has to start thinking about this and I don't know if they are, who knows, but like, that's my thought is why like college, the conference championship game, just with this expansion, I just don't think you need it anymore because you need that weekend for the college football playoff more with the portal signing day and everything else. I just feel like the week's, I, I just feel like it could be better served for the opening weekend of the college ball playoff versus conference title games, which really don't matter in the grand scheme of things anymore. Well, and not, and like I said, not to get too much off on a tangent, but like the, the signing day being moved up, like th- that's, that just baffles me. Like if anything, mm. this, we should just be getting rid of the early signing period yeah. and let all of the portal stuff work itself out. So these high schoolers, they know what situation they're getting into. They know, hmm. oh, I was going to go there as a quarterback, and they just got a starter from from what, wherever to transfer in. I don't want to go there now. Like, So I think it would only make sense. I think the NFL is opposite, right? The draft is before free agency, but hmm. the draft's also much cleaner than signing day. It's it's kind of our comparison, but signing day is absolutely is absolute chaos compared to the knowing what your pick is and everything in the NFL draft. So. I just, I just think it's a, it's, it's a slippery slope. I, I, I it's better than, than having signing day in the middle of a, a, a college football playoff week preparation. But, but yeah, that, that part's, um, you know, that's also questionable, but in terms of, you know, the automatic bids, like it's just, it's the same just kind of lie. We keep telling ourselves that the G five is playing the same sport as the power four, you know, it's just, it's not the same. So I'm all for, and I think automatic bids would keep the importance of the regular season. If we had some sort of 18 playoff and you had four power, a power four conference. And those were all of the teams that were essentially playing for the playoff. And the G five had its own thing. Like those, those, those automatic four spots, it only leaves four more for all of the other at large teams. And it seems like that would still have a a strong regular season because we do love how in college basketball, like you take care of business and win your conference, you'll get in the tournament. You know, obviously they have a lot more spots to work with, but it'll play spoiler for some of those bubble teams. But if you weren't a tournament team going into conference, uh, into the conference tournament, but I just, I think that that idea in an, in an actual like equitable, like, power four structure makes a lot of sense. Like how NFL does, if you win your division, you get a home playoff game. Sometimes you see an eight and 18 get a home playoff game. Oh, well, that's going to happen every once in a while, but it, it, it feels like it still keeps the same, just 
just intensity of the regular season when there are a limited number of spots because you know some of those are going to go to automatic qualifiers. I agree. Um, Matt Green, dog bites this week. Uh, Georgia, two openings like Tennessee had two openings for positional coaches, and then they quickly made some moves to address those two openings. Del McGee uh, to um, Georgia State, um, new head coach there. And then uh, Brian McClendon, obviously, on his way to join Liam Cohen in the NFL um, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But uh, what can you tell us this week on your uh, dog bite, sir? Well, uh, to start with, this is huge news because Del McGee, you know, he's he's an OG when it comes to the Kirby Smart staff. Like uh, he and Glenn Schumann were the last two left from Kirby's original staff in 2016. Ironically Mm. enough, James Coley was also on that 2016 staff, who's now the new wide receiver coach. Um, But I think I think Del McGee is going to be a tough guy to replace. Um, but to get, but to, to go start with James Coley, like I think James Coley is an absolute home run hire at, hmm. at as the wide receiver coach for Georgia. I think it, I kind of compare it to Will Muschamp uh, when he was at South Carolina, he, he's, he kind of became a punchline in amongst fans of, you know, he has his temper tantrums and all that. And he was a failed head coach at two different spots. And people kind of forgot that, oh, no, but this is one of the elite defensive minds in college football. And he doesn't, he just because he, ha, just because he isn't a great head coach, doesn't mean he's not a great recruiter and a great defensive mind. And if you have him doing that, he's going to be a huge asset to you. James Coley is one of the best re- recruiters in college football, specifically recruiting South Florida. And I think we all know the kind of talent that comes out of South Florida. That's a place you want to have a guy that, that, that knows a guy, right? So James Coley was a failed offensive coordinator. He, he did poorly at, at Miami. He did poorly in his one year at, uh, at, as the Georgia OC in 2019. And I think a lot of people are going to hear that and think, oh, James Coley, that's Georgia's just trying to figure out. They, they don't even have a, a good guy to go to. Whereas, no, James Coley is not going to be the offensive coordinator. He's going to be a wide receiver coach, and he's going to be a hell of a recruiter. And from that perspective, I think that's just a home run for Georgia. Yeah, and I think uh friend of the pod, Graham Coffee, had a good tweet about this where it's like Kirby with these two hires, um, uh, specifically Coley, like you alluded to, it just keeps up the track record that like he's gonna prioritize recruiting good recruiters for these positional coaches above all else. And Coley is one of the best recruiters in the country. So getting him back in and Georgia fans who have the memories of uh his one year stint as the OC, it's like that he that's not what he's being asked to do here um it's a very different kind of thing and you need some like positional coaches are tricky in terms of like how you manage um how many just straight x's and o's like positional knowledge guys with recruiting guys because you need every staff has to juggle okay we can't have too many x's and o's guys we still have to have guys who can get us to jimmy's and joe's so you have to pick and choose which positional coaches have more of one of the other you know what i mean like every staff has to go through this balance and it's not just georgia and tennessee but like i think what georgia did and what curry continues to do is he's like he understands and this is what graham uh, was talking about in the tweet of like talent still trumps all and kirby smart is not going to make it even when he loses his two best recruiters on the staff and uh del mcgee and fran brown in the same offseason He's rebounded to strong and he's brought in big time recruiters and he's going to keep this train moving in that regard. So Georgia fans like 
don't worry about what that one year blip with Coley was. I mean, I think Coley's going to be fine. And um, I think it's a, it's a good hire. And then you even mentioned like, so what can you tell us about Georgia going to the well and just uh, losing Del McGee to an in-state school to also being like, all right, well, we can play this game too. And we're going to go ahead and uh, get uh, Mr. Crawford from, uh, from the flats, sir. Well, that's it. The last thing I'll say about, about Coley too, Mm. if you go back to 2018, before he was named OC, like that that wide receiver group had Riley Ridley, Miko mm-hmm. Hardman, JJ Holloman, Terry Godwin. Like that was one of Georgia's like deeper receiver groups and and, and Fromm's best year of his career, also. So Coley definitely has a, a history of, of what he can do, what he's shown he can do at Georgia. But but yeah, like you said, going to um back to Del McGee, this is now the sixth head coach um that that has come from Kirby Smart uh, since he took over in 2016. I think he, Georgia State, I think, is an absolute home run hire. Like, because of his high school connections, I think that's the biggest aspect to this. Because I noticed when looking at Josh Crawford, the guy they just got, who, who was at Georgia Tech uh, this past year, I think he was a wide receiver coach at Georgia Tech uh, after a couple years at Western Kentucky. This guy's been at Greater Atlanta Christian. He's been at Colquitt County. He's been at Valdosta. Like, he's been at all kinds of uh, high school, big-time high school football programs in the state of Georgia. And I think that's what to, what you focus on here. Because to lose a guy like Del McGee, it felt like he was kind of the high school guy on Georgia's staff, that he just had all those built relationships all around the state of Georgia. And I think you're seeing, once again, Kirby Smart prioritizing recruiting over everything else and getting another guy who's who's been a high school football coach in the state of Georgia from – basically from 2010 to like 2020. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, I always wonder though, like, cause it's like a same deck hire for Georgia state. And I understand when people say stuff like that, it's still a tough job, man. I just think G five jobs are brutal right now. So look, like I get the excitement there, but I'm still cautiously optimistic um, just because of the nature of those jobs. And like, how many uh, guys you lose to the portal every season? Like Georgia State just got rated again. I'm sure Del McGee will retain a lot of guys and um, he will recruit well. But you have to re-recruit over and over again um, at the at the G5 level now, where it's just really really hard to retain your best guys. And um, I don't know. I just think that's why you're seeing co- like G5 guys like Sean Lewis, um, who leaves Kent State to be the OC at Colorado and takes it a shot there um even at the power five level you see some lesser power five programs that have some nil questions and just stability questions like chip kelly he jumped ship to for a coordinator job in a at ohio state like i don't know i think del mcgee taking this is still a huge it, it's a word if you're georgia state you do this 10 times out of 10 but i wonder if you're del mcgee like it's not the same as fran brown taking syracuse like syracuse has had history of success it's still a p2 or excuse me power five job this is a little bit more of a all right let's see how it goes i mean it's not like this is a slam dunk big history of success there it's not like georgia southern where you're you can gobble up the wind stuff like that like i don't know i i think uh you wish him well and you hope for the best and it's a worthy swing for georgia state but i just think those g5 jobs man are so tough and i wonder if i i just wonder about like if it was the better path to be an oc at another power five spot if you can't be oc at georgia you know what i mean yeah, I'm with you there. I was definitely surprised because, I mean, we see a guy like Sean Elliott leave Georgia State, and, and I think they they hadn't been doing very well, right? So he might have been kind of 
He was a 500-ish, and they were about to have a probably a pretty bad year. Uh, yeah, year. like maybe I'm on a sinking ship, and I need to go get on a Power yeah. 5 staff. Who knows what's going to happen with the future of, of the G5. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting to have that guy leaving to go to a South Carolina position coach and have a guy leaving what we can probably call the best program in college football, right? Yeah. George leaving a, a position coach job there. And he had one of those like associate head coach type titles. Like he'd been there for a long time. And so to see him go to Georgia state, that was a little surprising. Like mm-hmm. his name was thrown out there. Like when the Auburn job was, he, he is an Auburn alum. Like, yeah. and maybe he feels like I'm never going to be taken seriously for one of those jobs. If I don't have some head coaching experience first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's 50 years old, you know, he's not a, a super young guy. Um, but I, I would say I, w- I was surprised. Uh, but, but I, I do think if there's a guy who can who can make Georgia State work, I feel like it's a guy who's going to have those those high school connections. That's going to mm-hmm. really be able to 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 pitch Atlanta and and everything like that. And also, when was the last time you went to? I don't know what it's Turner Field. I, I forget what Center Park Stadium or something like that. I believe you. I um I actually drove past there. I was dro- dropping off uh Tori at the airport uh, last week that area is completely different. Like hmm. all the parking lots and everything return or field. There's like apartments. It's like, it's an insane area. The, the basketball arena is over there now. Like hmm. it's kind of crazy what they've built up. So the Georgia state branding on formerly Tur- Turner field has gotten way better. So it, it feels like it's, there's not many G five schools that kind of have the, the like bones that Georgia state has, you know, just being in that blueprint uh, or in that recruiting footprint that, that Atlanta is and Georgia tech also being like one of the less competitive uh, power, big boys, you know, in in the same city. Um, I don't know. I think it's got a lot going for it. Uh, We'll we'll see. It's definitely gonna be a challenge because when you're, when you're at that level, and you do find a diamond in the rough, then uh, the power the power programs will just come scoop them up. No, hundred percent, and we'll see how it goes. Wish him the best and uh, good luck over there in Atlanta. But what about uh, speaking of Georgia Tech, uh, the big hire there as the dogs' new running backs coach? I think the biggest thing, like I was saying, is just just the recruiting aspect to it. I think mm. to have a guy that's got so much uh, history of being a high school coach. He was never even a a head coach in high school, but he's just been all over, you know, Metro Atlanta down to South Georgia. And I think, I think that's, that's why he got this job. Like, I don't think he's there anything he did at Western Kentucky or Georgia tech that got him this job. I think, uh, I think it's definitely his high school presence. And I think that's what, that's what's that jumped out to me that like James Coley is, is, is replacing McClendon. Like you're kind of getting, you know, a guy who's got a more proven, I think, track record. McClendon was a good recruiter, but I think Coley's got a more proven track record as a recruiter and kind of has his his niche, if you will, in niche if, in South Florida. Um, but I think uh, with this, it's like it's it's gonna be hard to replace, you know, Del McGee. Like so, so many of the big time running backs and the big time recruits Georgia got, um, you know, Del McGee was a big part of. But I think you're you're seeing he was definitely the direct replacement just because of his and just with his high school connections. Yeah, I mean, he has a lot of history like he's 
Lee County, Valdosta, Colquitt for many years. Um, started out at GAC. Uh, shout out to GCO. But um, part of some great Western Kentucky offenses. And I think this is just a brutal blow for Georgia Tech. Because um, that's going to be really hard to replace um, And on that side of the staff. I mean, you still got Buster Faulkner, who excelled uh, year one as OC for Brent Key. But um, that's tough to lose uh, a rising star in the coaching industry like Josh Crawford uh, just to uh, an hour up the road uh, to your rival. That's just, that's tough, man. You don't see this very often. Who was the last tech? I mean, d- do you remember one of a previous Georgia tech coach who made the jump to Georgia? No, I think like Buster Faulkner, like you said, that's one of the few I can remember, like going from Georgia to Georgia tech. And, you know, I remember JJ green and mm-hmm. um, who was it? Brent Scyther. I think this past year, like a uh, j- transferring from Georgia to Georgia tech. I can't, as as much of a of a rivalry as it is like they they're not really in the same like in the same ponds if you will so yeah. you don't see as as much overlap in, in their venn diagrams if you will um so yeah i, I don't remember us the last time that georgia uh, poached a, a coach from georgia tech yeah it's it's interesting but either way i think you're in georgia fans should be excited about both hires there because i think uh two big ones uh for the dogs and replacing some big names there um uh, sec 2023 schedule review series matt green as we continue this weekly installment uh this week arkansas the arkansas razorbacks did they win enough games based on how their schedule ended up unfolding uh was it not enough wins based on what uh, you and I saw as their expectations. And then maybe it was just right based on the schedule. Did the, it was just the amount of games they should have won. Uh, realistically speaking. I'd say this is one of the easier ones we're going to do on this, hmm. uh, on, in this series, because they, they were one of the, I think bigger underachievers in the entire conference a year ago. Hmm. I think Arkansas finishing four and eight winning one conference game. Like, it's just, I don't even know where to start. Like, I mean, they did lose, I think it's five of their eight games were by one score. And, you know, Florida, as bad as Florida's season was, they they have that other notch in their belt uh, that they were Arkansas's only win of the entire, uh, only conference win of the entire season. But but seeing what KJ Jefferson was in 2021 and 2022, I feel like he came into 2023 as the most like underrated player in all of college football. This guy mm-hmm. threw 45 touchdowns and nine picks. Uh, in 2021 and 22 combined, like six, 700 yards rushing both years, like flirting with double digit touchdowns uh, on the ground. And you saw like once uh, Art Bryles, wait, Art Bryles is the head coach, is his dad, right? Kendall Bryles, uh, yeah. Bryles, once Bryles left uh, Arkansas, like, and it was Dan Enos running that offense. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's the biggest game changer you saw. Like, KJ Jefferson was not the same last year. He even missed a couple games in, in 2022. He only missed one last year and his stats were nowhere near what they were the past two years. Like I just, e- even running the ball, like I, like I had two rushing touchdowns. Like he just was not effective. And I just, I don't know what happened. I th- I think you look at the OC, that's probably the biggest explanation explanation right there. But yeah, Arkansas just, I mean, losing to Mississippi State the way they did, like this team missing a bowl game, I think there's there's really no excuse for that. Like, and, and on top of all of the close they games, lost they, BYU they lost, at home, exactly. And on top of all the close ones they lost too, like they got blasted by Auburn, like they got mm-hmm. blasted by Missouri too. But Missouri was good last year. Like, 
that that getting just destroyed by Auburn, that was the one that stuck that stood out that was like, oh, maybe they've given up on Sam Pittman. Maybe this is like actually over now. So that was the one that really because because to that point, they kind of seemed like a snake bitten team that were like, I mean, other than Mississippi State, they lost seven to three. Like that's that's just a terrible performance. But like they played Alabama close. They played Ole Miss close. They played LSU close. Like it was they played BYU close. So it was a lot of like, yeah, the ball's bouncing the wrong way. Sam Pittman, like you, you saw how tough it is to, to have to replace two coordinators in one year. And in a place like Arkansas, it's it's going to be a little tougher to do that than than a, a bigger program. So I think without a doubt, you know, there was there were some things that just bounced the wrong way. But I mean, this team was a huge underachiever last year. It was interesting because we pushed back on this show where we both like KJ Jefferson. I didn't like the Danny Insider where it just kind of scared me. And this is one of those things where, and I would buy some KJ Jefferson stock this year. Uh, I think he's probably going to be pretty good at UCF with Gus Malzahn and company. I would probably buy some, some KJ bounce back stock there. Um, but I mean, that's, I mean, well, what he did with like Nick Marshall, that's gotta mm-hmm. be like an upgrade on Nick Martin. Like he's not Cam Newton. I don't want to throw that out there, but he's like, or John he's Plumlee. Over a- John Reith Plumley thrived yeah. under Gus. And I mean, that's a hard guy to make work. I mean, he's two sport athlete. John Reese has his ability, but it's not like he's a downfield assassin. And he was really, really good uh, with for Gus uh, down there in Orlando. So KJ we, should be good. Sorry, I'll, I'll not yeah. interrupt you again, but we also note how uh, guys always get worse in like the second year with Malzahn. He's only going to have one year. So maybe he's got a one and, and he'll, he'll be able to boost his draft stock. That is true. Um, that being said like this is one of the worries when you have it when you hire a ceo type coach right hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Is your one bad coordinator cycle away from it really imploding on you? Because look, Georgia can lose guys. They can lose Dan Lanning. They can lose Mel Tucker. It doesn't matter. Kirby, it's still Kirby Smart's defense. Like guys can come and go, but the defense is going to be just as good year in, year out. When you have a positional coach who is an elite side of the ball uh, coach, whether it's offense or defense, like Josh Heupel can lose Alex Golish to USF. And yeah, it hurts, but it's still Heupel's offense. Heupel is still going to develop the next wave of guys. And you don't really worry about it because you know what to expect year in, year out. There's not a lot of change there. When you hire someone like Sam Pittman, who good recruiter, great offensive line coach. The problem is 
if you are successful, like he was early on at Arkansas, your coordinators are going to get picked off. Like they're going to go somewhere else. And TCU opened up because Lincoln Riley's brother, um, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, not Spencer Riley, Garrett Gar- Riley. Garrett, yeah. Garrett Riley goes to Clemson. So that job opens up. He goes back to Texas, this, that, and the other. That could happen. The other thing that can happen is Barry Odom was a star defensive coordinator, and that was a great hire. Like Sam Pittman hired well, he hired too well. And then Barry Odom takes a surprising job out west to UNLV, which is a program that hasn't really worked in our, our lifetime, Matt Green. And he's had a lot of success there. So I think the combination of Pittman losing both and just the drop off there was a lot more than I think a lot of folks had anticipated. And I think that's the worry when you hire a CEO lineman not offensive or defensive whiz leading your program because if you're good you're eventually going to get those guys picked off and it's really hard to hire consistently well over and over again um and keep that same flow going because dan enos is completely different than what kendall browse was running and there was a different uh, with williams from what barry odoms was running like it's just really hard to have that be a sustainable model uh into in not even just today's college football but just in general so i think that's always a risk for any teams uh that hire one or the other because you're gonna eventually get picked off and it's really just hard to make that work long term i think no and i think that's fair i i just i look at arkansas and it's hard to know like underachieving and overachieving is like a really hard word to use somewhere like arkansas because were they were they really nine and four? Did they overachieve to be a nine and four in twenty twenty one? And then they kind of came back down to earth. But I, I think you were expecting at, at bare minimum them go to a bowl game. So mm. I think Arkansas is definitely one of those programs. And like I think everyone loves Sam Pittman. I think he's just a yeah. likable guy, but you gotta think he's going into twenty twenty four with a with a little bit of a hot seat. I they're projected. We went we went through our betting totals for the SEC last week. I mean, they might be the worst team in the SEC this year, Matt Green. That's on the table. Is that really worst team in the SEC? Three and a half, four and a half wins. I mean, they're right there in that conversation. Yeah. Yeah, and I think another that's so they go at Oklahoma State at a conference and then add add Texas and and yeah. Yeah, Tennessee, LSU, Ole Miss, A and M. It's not. It's not an easy uh, schedule for sure. Um, a lot is riding on that body game, Petrino hire. Going to be. Yeah, that's true. And I didn't even. We didn't even mention that. I think that is massive. I think uh, we've seen, but they don't have KJ Jefferson anymore, so they're also mm-hmm. replacing that position completely. So, I don't know. And you also Rocket Sanders uh, missing a lot of time in twenty twenty three three like he was probably the best running back in the sec or one of them in 2022 and so you know the injuries that definitely played a part i wonder if they miss a bowl game is he definitely fired definitely no most likely yes would be my guess i didn't even say missouri either you got there's like five preseason like top 15 teams on this schedule Arkansas is just one of those. And that's not counting AM and Oklahoma State and Auburn. I've pitched this. They won't do it because of the money, obviously. But like, if you're Arkansas and you see Texas and Oklahoma coming in and you see what the Big 12 is and what you can recruit year in, year out, like, is there not a part of you? It's like, we'll take less money to win a whole lot more 
and uh in football you're already good at basketball and baseball like basketball is obviously the best in the big 12 this year make the jump back take less money but you don't and... stay good at basketball and baseball without that money without that football money no baseball all for sure baseball is not a part of it like baseball will be fine and they're they're good again in baseball it's gonna be te- i think tennessee and arkansas but football is the beast that feeds everything else well i'm not disagreeing with that i'm just saying the wins would come back and we would view Arkansas very differently if they were playing in the, the new Big 12 over the next couple of years. Like you know, how we be... would view them? We would not watch their games. That's how that's how we would view Arkansas when they're when they're I playing don't know. Kansas. I think they would be good. Like I think that they would be a perennial favorite in the Big 12 uh year in, year out. Have you did you Arkansas, off the top of your head? I don't want you to look, Matt Green. I don't want you to look right now. Who do you think had the best recruiting class of the new Big 12 this past cycle? I think I actually saw this. Uh, it was Texas Tech, right? No. Who, who was it? UCF. Wow. You can out-recruit UCF. Arkansas could have the most talented team in the Big 12 year in, year out, if they just make the move back. Go I mean, back. this team went 9-4 and four in the SEC in 2020. I'm saying you could be a perennial college football playoff team in the Big 12. I mean, that's probably true, but... That you're never they, sniffing it they here. They would not be they would be a worse that doesn't mean they would be a better team just because they were going to another conference. Oklahoma they might get, and Texas are in this conference now, Matt Green. Arkansas, they are a a quiet big loser from the jump. People have talked about Vandy and stuff. I'm like that's not really the team who's really hurt is Arkansas. Like Arkansas is I mean, those are two recruiting rivals that now have the same amount of money and resources. Like that's brutal. Like Arkansas I think is actually getting the shortest end of the stick. Like A&M's going to be fine with those two coming in. I don't think Arkansas is yeah, going to be fine. Yeah, I think Arkansas is right there with like I think like teams like Kentucky and South Carolina are a step below that also lose uh, with the expanded SEC. But I think Arkansas is a program that's right there with like Ole Miss. But Ole Miss right now with what they're doing in the portal, like this Ole Miss team, mm. they're feeling really good about. So they're that's they're not on the same level in in 2024. But I feel like as as far as programs go, there they were consistently those like fourth and fifth teams in the SEC West, you know, that yeah. with Oklahoma and Texas coming over, it's it's definitely gonna make it more challenging. Um, Matt Green, we continue on to our ace our betting total win totals uh here in this offseason. More and more coming out each and every week, but uh, Bet Online has the most uh the new um acc regular season win total over under sir um we did the sec last week so check that out on this very feed if you missed that but this week um acc staying in the south here um or the west because it now <laughs> expand it, it, it spans the entire united states uh with cal uh, smu and stanford in the conference which was just really weird to see uh when you look at this thing here matt green but um my first question which total is the most shocking to you when you look at this uh acc 2024 win total all right so it's tough to say so i've obviously i've talked about syracuse and kind of just their their schedule making them kind of a contender just with who they avoid and and them sitting at six and a half wins like it feels feels tempting you know first year head coach not not sure exactly what to expect they've made a little bit of noise in the portal Chris Brockman of the Rich Eisen show was on last week and he's like, they're going to the playoff. Like, I I love his optimism. Like, Fran Brown, excitement right away. Kyle McCord, if he's good. They avoid, we should say for the listeners who don't know, Syracuse does, they avoid Miami, Florida State, and Clemson 
I don't even know how that's possible, but they avoid the three best teams in the conference this year. Syracuse six and a half. That's that explains it. Like their schedule is fantastic for year one for Fran Brown. But I'm saying the six and a half. I would almost go more because they're uh, they're I would go um, over two right now. Like I would yeah. hit over on Syracuse for sure. And then seeing Florida State at nine and a half. I guess you're just worried that like there's not an elite team in this conference, but it feels like this conference is Florida State's like for the taking right now. And I mean, it should be, I'm not saying they are like clearly better than Clemson, but it feels like I don't even know two ships passing in the night, kind of like Clemson's on the way down, Florida state's back on the way up 10 and two just feels like kind of worst case scenario for Florida state with like, they, they should be the, the heavyweight in this conference now. I don't, I mean, we'll get to it, but I mean, I think Miami is actually the best team in the conference this year, but Ooh. Uh, we'll get to Miami. I mean, I think, it's a three-team top team race between Miami, Florida State, and Clemson. The problem I have with Florida State is I think they have the worst quarterback of the three. And I think it's – I'm just not a big DJU guy. And I think there's going to be a big drop-off from Jordan Travis. Are you a big Cade Klubnik DJ. guy, though? I'm a bigger Cade Klubnik guy than DJU, yeah. I Year think I'd go with DJU over Cade Klubnik. Like, I mm. think Clemson looked better in 2022 than they did in 2023. I mean, Cam Ward right out of the gate here, by the way. So many college football fans who, casual fans who are going to be like, wait, wait, wait. Is that Cam Ward? And you're just going to see Miami be awesome right out of the gate here. Like, Cam Ward is going to be so much fun in Miami. Like, I just, I don't think people understand how big of an underrated last minute turn of events that was for Miami to get Cam Ward in the building. Because they're, I didn't know what they were going to do at quarterback. Um, There were some options, but a lot of unproven guys and you weren't feeling good. Cam Ward is a difference between like you going to the playoff or not. Like that's like Miami is now, I mean, they've recruited really well with Mario Cristobal uh, since coming in there, but I, I just, <laughs> I've gobbled up a lot of Miami uh, stock this, this cycle. So, but that's not my most shocking. I, I like, so are you, do you want to stick with Mar- uh, Syracuse or Florida state is the more shocking over under to you? I would say I'm not necessarily shocked by either of them. They're just two two lines that that, that stood out to me. Right? And Florida State's probably they're kind of being um, in different ways affected by the schedule because Florida State probably does have one of the more challenging schedules in the in the conference. Even though they don't obviously don't have to play themselves, but they do have to play Clemson, they do have to play Miami, and they have Notre Dame in that rotation as well. So it's it's definitely not the easiest schedule in the in the ACC. I think it's surprising to see wake forest again at four and a half like what's happening there i just feel bad like we're, we've been so used to the claw fence just gobbling up wins and winning a, consistently in the acc they had a rough rough year last year and to see four and a half again for them like missing another bowl game maybe another uh, like three and nine bad year hey um, it's what they deserve for injuring uh ryan filipowski just absolute classless fans over here wake wow forest, demon deacons no, I I was watching that live, and as soon as that happened, I also, was like, oh, we, man, if, this is about to be the biggest story in sports right now about court storming. I think you just combined Ryan Kelly, a former Duke, or Duke big, with uh, Ke- uh, Kyle Filipowski. Did I say Ryan Filipowski? You Who's said Ryan, Ryan Filipowski. I don't know. I think you were about to is say Ryan Felipe. Ryan Felipe, maybe? But I was like, I'm wait, sure. Kyle Filipowski. There yeah. you go. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was unfortunate. But, yeah, I mean... I don't know. I think uh, I think your boy Sam Hartman w- was holding that that program together, and uh, I don't know. They they've really fallen off. Very handsome, that Sam Hartman. Um, which is the best by now 
uh, bet of all these win totals for you? Who would you suggest to your buddies? Like, hey, I would I would jump on this over or under for this total for this ACC team. I guess I gave away my answer at the start. Syracuse is definitely the best uh, buy low candidate from from mm. the jump. Um, just because of that schedule, not to sound like a broken record, but um, also I'm not going to, I don't really have any insight to talk about them right now, but North Carolina seems to only do well when no one thinks they're going to do well. <laughs> so maybe now that North Carolina's off the radar, they're ac- they'll actually have a good season next year. I mean, eight and a half still solid. Like that's just probably, I just feel like it should be eight and a half every year of the Mac Brown era. Like that just feels like the, the right number because you even if you think they'll go 10 and 2 and break through that's the year they go 7 and 5 but they should they're somewhere around 8 and a half like that just should be where it is but i mean they have the talent to be 10 and 11 and 1 whatever depending on their quarterback play um i mean two nfl quarterbacks back to back and i mean they've had they've recruited really well in that re- department and had good receivers come out good running backs like they've they produced a lot of a lot of talent but it uh it just hasn't uh unfolded that way but um for them in terms of really breaking through the top of the acc but you know who i might say here uh matt green who's that little cardinals eight and a half seems like huh they just broke through in the acc title game they might be a good buy low right now they went 10 and 4 last year they went 7 and 1 in the acc they had a really good acc schedule similar to what syracuse is facing here but his last three years as a head coach he was eight and five in 2022 at purdue nine and four the year prior um and then his last two years at western kentucky 10 and 3 12 and 2 i don't know i just am a big let's just bet the over on jeff brom because i think he's just one of the best coaches in the sport like he's probably somewhere in that top 15 range like they're not flashy uh it was Plummer last year um who is it this year who is their transfer quarterback this year i can't remember off the top of my head um they have another one off the top of my head I gotta I look, just this look up. at their schedule and just so many of those key games are on the road this year. Like mm-hmm. Tyler, they have to go at, Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah, Tyler Shuck, yeah. So, you know, I obviously, I think, I think Brom, I trust to get the best out of the, out of the quarterback position, but yeah, they go at Notre Dame at Kentucky at Clemson still have Miami at home. It's just, gonna, it's going to be tough because I, I just think a lot of their 2023 success was just based on uh, the weaker schedule that they played. I could see it. I also just, I don't know. I always bet on like good coaching for these early ones where I'm like, I don't know. Jeff Brom, can he pull nine and three out of Louisville this year? I mean, I think that's possible. Um, so that'd probably be one I would jump on. Who is the hardest to get a feel for you when you look at the number? Uh, this one just, if you don't have one right away, I have one and I wonder if it's the same. All right. Hit me with yours. It's Virginia Tech at seven and a half. Hmm. I could see that. Like, they have not been good quietly in a long time now, Matt Green. Like, they, they're falling off. Like, the Virginia Tech of old is long gone. Um, Brent Pry, um, it's a long, it's been a long-term rebuild here coming in for Justin Fuente. They have a little bit of a breakthrough this past year. But 7.5, it just was kind of like, oh, Virginia Tech moving in the right direction. 7.5. Like, that's good. You're only one away from NC State and UNC. Like, two really good football programs year in year out like maybe brent price really turned the corner here uh at uh in blacksburg i don't know that one's a hard one to get a get a read on i would stay all the way away from a seven and a half virginia tech uh mid-february bet but 
it is interesting that they are like in the conversation for like eight wins, eight and four Virginia Tech, which would be huge for Brent Pride this year. Well, yeah, and after coming off a bowl game too, like they at least they feel like they're trending in the right direction. But I mean, I can't bet eight that they win eight games. Like that just seems like that just seems like way too much. I would say the toughest one for me to get a read on is Duke because hmm. Mike Elko, I mean, he's turned this team into a what nine nine win team, then eight win yeah. team a year ago. Like to be like one of the more respectable programs in the SEC or in the ACC. And now it's like, I have no idea what they're going to be. Is, is the cupboard absolutely bare? Like did, did they take, did he take everyone he wanted to wanted with him? And, and obviously Riley Leonard going to Notre Dame. Like, I don't know that Duke sitting at six and a half. I don't know that I can, I can bet on them going over that. I don't even know. I don't know. They're, they're making a bowl game in 2024 after being one of the more consistent programs the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, Manny Diaz, he's had success. I think he's a good coach. I think that's a good... I mean, losing Mike Elko this early hurts if you're Duke, but I think Manny Diaz will be solid. I don't think it's going to be like a huge drop-off. I think he keeps this thing. I mean, Manny Diaz, is. I mean, that Penn State defense was elite once again. Like, Manny Diaz can coach defense. Like, Mike Elko's great at it. Manny Diaz is a really good defensive mind, and I like their OC hire uh, coming in from SMU. Um, I think he'll be good. He's been with uh, Rhett Lashley over there, and they've been electric um, in that regard. Um, And I think he was probably with Manny years ago when he was at um, Miami because he had Rhett Lashley too and all that. So there was some familiarity there. But I don't know. I think Duke, there will be a drop-off, but I'm still probably pretty optimistic about Duke at this point. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Virginia Tech, Duke, those are good ones. Good stay-aways. Like, that's a wait-and-see on that front. Uh, but Virginia Tech's schedule is not bad. I could I could see it when you go 7 and 6 this past year. Why not? Um this one I feel like we're going to disagree on Matt Green. Miami 9 and a half. Right there at the top sharing that with Clemson and uh Florida State. Does that feel uh egregious to you or do you see the the rationale as to why Miami is right up there with the traditional powers of the ACC this year? It's definitely not egregious. I understand where it's coming from. I just, I feel like I just can't bet on Mario Cristobal at this point. Like Mm. I I look at this schedule and look at what Miami has, the talent. I would not be surprised at all if they go 10 and two, they, they could be nine and three, excuse me. Um, but I just, it's just, they're just a hard team to bet on. I just don't know. I don't know that we get the best version of Miami. We we saw them give away the Georgia Tech game. They were they were a game probably better than their record indicated in 2023. Yeah. But at the same time, if you're if you're able to lose a game like that, it also says something about you. So, I think this team's going to probably sleepwalk to about 5 and 0, 6 and 0. Well, I'm sleeping on the Gators in that in that season opener. That's going to be a good one. Um at Florida, like we saw we've seen teams that are pretty good teams play their worst when they when they go into the swamp at florida so and it's also the first game of the season before florida fans have given up hope uh, on what their season could be so they're going to get the most hostile version of the swamp next year but if they're able to beat florida it they're easily going to cruise to like six and oh and then it's just a matter of you know how how legit are they is florida state really down and, and can they take advantage of that so I, I see like everything. I see the the formula, right? But I just um, there's still something that's keeping me 
that's I'm I'm hesitant to buy the stock on Miami. That's fair. I just Cam Ward, I just think is I mean, he could have a Heisman type year at Miami. And it's a fun offense. It's one that I mean, folks, if you looked right now, guess who had a better passing offense this past year? Miami than Florida State. Like you look at it and you're like, look, man, Cam Ward and this group and where they are talent wise, like, yeah, there was the obviously the Georgia Tech craziness, but like I think they have good coordinators on both sides of the ball. I think Mario Cristobal is obviously recruited very well. There's a lot of talent on this Miami team. I, the schedule's not bad. I understand people's, and yourself included, being a little worried about buying into my, Mario Cristobal year in, year out. I don't know. I'm just, I'm not sold on Clemson. I'm not sold on Florida State. And I just trust Cam Ward to be really good. I haven't seen a bad Cam Ward season yet at the FBS level or FCS level. I think he just raises their floor so much because Tyler Van Dyke was so hit and miss, so hot and cold that we haven't seen this kind of talent at quarterback in Miami in a, in a while. So for me, I'm just going to buy into that because I think the top of the ACC is kind of open right now um, because I think this is a gap year for Florida State that... I don't know. I just I would buy a lot of Miami stock right now, and I think they should be in the college football playoff, and they should win the conference this year. So it's definitely not the same thing, and so I don't want this to be like you know misinterpreted. They but they feel a little bit like 2022 uh, Penn State hmm. or 2022 2023 Penn State, where I feel like I was buying Penn State for exterior reasons that weren't actually Penn state. I was Mm. buying that Michigan and Ohio state weren't going to be as good. And that was going to open things up for Penn state. It feels like the best reason to buy Miami stock is looking around at everybody else that doesn't look that good. And Miami could, should uh, be able to step in there, but I'm just, I don't know. I still don't know that they will. That's fair. I mean, they were a very different team on the road and at home, uh, especially defensively. So we'll have to see if that gets cleaned up this year. I don't know. I just, I think it's fair to be better at home. Yeah, they're better. That's almost kind of surprising because since they don't have a home field advantage. Hey man, traveling's hard, man. The team should play it. uh, No matter what kind of environment you're walking in, you should play better at home. Um, Final thing here though, Louisville, who was just in the ACC title game, Matt Green, they're not up there with Clemson, Florida State, and Miami, and nine and a half being their uh, early win-loss betting uh, over/under here. Are you raising an eyebrow that Louisville's not getting that same kind of respect in a kind of open top of the ACC? That Louisville's not up there, considering they were just in the ACC title game. No, I think I. I mean, I think I kind of made. <laughs> I guess I'm one of the ones disrespecting Louisville when it comes down to it because I don't think they were that good a year ago. Like they, I mean, they played Florida state competitively in that game, but I mean, what did their offense have like 65 yards or something? And that was like one of the worst offensive performances or one of the best defensive performances from Florida state, however you want to look at it. But I don't know. I just, I, I don't think this team, I can't take Louisville that seriously until they kind of just, like they almost have to like punch you in the face, like make it obvious to everybody that they are legit. Because I think at the end of the day, we, we, we see recruiting rankings and they're not everything, but they are a big thing. And Clemson and Florida state, Miami just continue to out recruit them. Even in North Carolina that will get some big shiny pro prospects that people like and, and 
create more of a buzz. There's something about Louisville that's just like a a chip on their shoulder. They got to continue to prove it. They don't. And North Carolina is not that brand that any of those other ones are uh, by any means. But there's just something about Louisville that I just I you got to make me continue to buy it because I'm 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 not I'm not there yet. That's fair. I mean, they averaged six point one eight yards per play last year. Um, the, what hurt them? really down the stretch in December and January, they averaged 3.92 yards per play. Um, and those was their two losses against Kentucky and, uh, um, or not Kentucky. Yeah. Kentucky. Wait, no, Kentucky would have been November. Uh, their bowl game. Who was their bowl game against? Cause it would have been obviously Florida state who put the clamps on him. And then I can't remember who they put in the bowl game. Let me see here. Uh, feels like forever ago. Uh, they lost the USD in the USC in the bowl game. Yeah. Um, also, did you see that stat about USC? I think Caleb Williams has never lost a, a game at USC when his defense uh, allowed less than 30 points. Wow, I did not know that stat. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's just a, a random one where I was <laughs> I had to look at it. I was like, wait, what? And you're like, yeah, that's some interesting nuance when talking about Caleb Williams and where he's at as a player. It's like, Hey man, uh, when his defense is even average, uh, things are going pretty well for him uh, as your QB one. Um, yeah, the the Holiday Bowl is one of those hmm. bowl games that like uh, it, it shows my hypocrisy with these corporate uh, sponsors because the Pacific Life Holiday Bowl sounds perfectly normal to me, but the San Diego <laughs> County Credit Union Holiday Bowl, I'm like, this is just stupid. I, I don't know That's why. That's where you draw the line. But I don't know. The 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 corporate sponsors I grew up with, it's like those were okay. But once they once they changed the once they changed the Nokia Sugar Bowl, then I was like, oh, this stuff's getting out of control. <laughs> I don't know. I, apparently it's the it's the direct TV holiday bowl going into 2024. So they they've uh they stepped their game up a little bit. No disrespect to the San Diego County Credit Union. I love it. Um, well, we'll end on this, Matt Green. Uh, it's early February. You can change this right now. But like, who who do you think ends up winning the most games uh, in the ACC this year? After looking at these early numbers, I think um, I think Florida State is still my uh, my my favorite in the preseason. I know they lost a lot from that team a year ago, but I just I don't know. I I. I wouldn't be surprised if Clemson just kind of keeps keeps going downhill. Like I'm not saying they're gonna their win total is gonna decrease, but I I I'm just not buying Clemson. And when it comes to Florida State and Miami, I just I think I try trust Mike Norvell more than I trust Mario Cristobal. And DJ Uyunglele is not great by any means. Like, but I feel like we're all we're all sleeping on that he's like a pretty good player. Like he was a five. He wasn't supposed to be a five-star prospect, right? He didn't make himself a five-star prospect recruiting sites and different people labeled him a five-star prospect. It's not his fault that he didn't live up to what certain people thought he was going to be. I think he's still a solid quarterback. And I think with what the ACC has, he's not Cam Ward. I give Miami the, the advantage there, but I think he's going to be one of the better quarterbacks in this conference. And that's partly an indictment on the ACC, but I, I mean, how many quarterbacks in this conference are better, like are more proven than, than DJ I mean, Georgia U? Tech's quarterback is definitely better. Is he? Yeah, he's better. Um, Why am I blanking on his name? 
I'm blanking on it from Haynes King. Haynes King, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's definitely better. He's pretty, he's, he's up there. He's one of the better ones, but I, I don't think, I think the expectations of what DJU was supposed to be kind of clouds people's judgment on, no, he is just kind of a solid quarterback. He's not great. He's like the bad version of Bo Nix. Who is I don't like, know. I'm always going to bet on okay. the best for, I, I'm going to bet on whoever is under center for North Carolina will be better than DJU this year because North Carolina quarterbacks are pretty good. So I'll just go ahead and say he'll be better. Probably Grayson McCall at NC State. Right? Yeah. Um, I guess. I mean, not everyone can can keep oh, Tyler it up. Shook will going, absolutely be better at Louisville. Tyler Shook will be better. Going up a level though isn't always the easy in terms of Grayson McCall. So it's like, yeah. you know, we'll see. Um, I think DJU he has he still has one of the higher floors. Like his ceiling might not be that high, but I think he's like at worst, like the fifth or sixth best quarterback in the conference. And at at best, he he could be one of the better ones. But I, I don't know. I just, I don't think, uh, I think people are sleeping on him. I will say this. I think there's a reason he's on his third college football team at this point. <laughs> hey, Cade Klubnick, Cade Klubnick gave, I, I feel like showed that DJU deserves an apology from some Clemson fans. Like he was not great by any means in 2023. Like DJU was not the problem at Clemson. That's, that's the only thing, the only way I'll put it. He was not Deshaun Watson. He's not Trevor Lawrence, but he was not the problem. He wasn't the reason that they weren't good. I mean, he completed 64% of his passes, which is like 5% more, maybe more than that. I, I have to pull up DJUs, but like, that's the main thing is like the completion percentage. Like, I, I mean, he was in the fifties last year at Oregon state and he wasn't asked to do a whole lot. I, I don't know, man. I, I'm just not a, I'm not a TJU believer um, in terms of what he can be. And I just, I don't know. I wish him well. Uh, I hope Florida, I have a lot of Florida state fans in my family and alums and all that. So um, hope it goes different, but I don't know. I'm not sure Brooklyn should not be the starter uh, in Tallahassee this fall. Ooh, I am. I don't, and I'm not saying he's going to be a Heisman dark horse by any means. Like, I don't think he's like great, but I don't know. Watching club Nick play for them a year ago. I did not think he was better uh, in 2023 than, than DJU was in 2022, 2021 DJU was pretty bad. He was pretty bad that year, but his, I don't know, was it his redshirt sophomore or junior? However, I don't know how we're calling it. But in 2022, he was solid. And Oregon State, I think, you know, they were run first offense. So that that allowed him to be a little bit more efficient But uh, than, than he was at Clemson. But I don't know. I uh, We'll see. I'm not going to I'm not gonna die on the hill uh, defending him. But I think he's just not as bad as some people think he is. I think there's a lot of boomer bust potential. Like, I think he may might work out a good final collegiate season or i think it it just does not go well at all and he doesn't make it through the whole year as the starter in tallahassee i i don't know uh, we'll see because they have options like yeah, I, wouldn't be, still there. I wouldn't be like it wouldn't be the most shocking thing ever he lost the starting job but i don't know we'll see that's what makes me think i'm just i'm I'm gobbling up all the miami stock cam ward's gonna be great like that's just one of those i just feel really good like cam ward's gonna be really good at miami and i think miami should be the best team in the acc this year yeah, I, we'll I wouldn't see. be surprised at that either. Matt Green, always a pleasure. What do you want to do, Big 12 or Big 10 next week, betting preview? Um, Let's have the Big 10 next week. Okay. Big 10 next week and wrap up with the Big 12. We're Arkansas. Just saying. Yeah, gobble up the wins, gobble up the titles. Be a lot more fun. 
make the trade. Who would you trade for Arkansas for the Big Twelve? Uh, to bring someone into the ace into the SEC. Yeah, who do you trade? Who's the trade? Um, probably Oklahoma State. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, maybe UCF. I guess, and you get kind of a more cohesive footprint. But I don't know. The idea of losing Bedlam um, to, to like conference expansion. Yeah, I don't like that. So, also West Virginia. West Virginia is kind of a wild card, but their fans, I feel, I feel like they would fit in with the SEC culture. They really would. West Virginia is not a bad one. People are like, wait, what? And I'm like, West Virginia fans also don't have the expectation. I'm like, wow, what? I don't want to join there. It's like you're not winning the Big Twelve anyway. So like, you're not gonna have a bunch of success in the SEC football. Like you're, you're just happy to be there and also it'd be fun. Like I would love to go with a Tennessee at West Virginia game. I'm sure you want to go to Morgantown once to see what that atmosphere is like for uh for the jt daniels ball like that'd be fun for you <laughs> absolutely matt green always a pleasure and i will talk to you next week this has been ingram radio voice of the atlanta braves and i'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the chase thomas podcast as a friend of the podcast i'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one to show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker, or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, but you're interviewing. Mm-hmm. You're, um, pleasantness you're smart so i think i'm going to hear big things about you nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.